You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Oh, well, good morning, Midtown. How are we? Good. All right. Um, I've been traveling around the country um, all year, and I've been in a lot of different spaces. Um, I've spoken at uh, Jamaican churches. At I was in Hawaii and spoke to Hawaiian church. I, I've been in front of black churches. I've been in front of multi-ethnic churches. I, my background itself is ex- extremely mixed up. I'm, I'm mixed with Filipino, a whole bunch of European um, I grew up in the black community um, in, in L.A. Uh, my dad, uh, in and out, left, moved to Mexico, started another family down there. So I got Mexican brothers and sisters. He lives in Michoacan, um, Mexico. And so he's down there. And then I worked and lived in immigrant neighborhoods um, for 16, 17 years. Um, and then even during that time, I was on staff at a predominantly Asian church for eight years. So um, it's like I've been in all these sacred spaces and then sometimes still don't feel like I have a home. And yet, what binds all that together is, brother, when you're up here and you're worshiping, I'm just like weeping because, you're, one, you're anointed, my man. So thank you so much for that. But in all these spaces, what binds us together is that I've been transformed. Like, my life has changed, and I'm here as a witness to make sure that you understand that. So you might be here today, and you're like, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I'm I'm checking it out. Maybe you've been walking for a long time. Cool. Um, Either way, I'm going to challenge you today. And so today is not going to be one of those fluffy sermons. You feel me? And so so we're going to get into it, um, and I think you're ready for it. I can see it in your faces. Um, And so we're going to get into this. Here's our scripture for today. Uh, is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30. And so I, I want us to root in this, and then I'm going to take us through, um, through this. Um, but I want you to understand why where you sit right now is so important. Like this specific, like, women's hope center, right? Like the, the space of this, this neighborhood, why this is so important. Um, why the neighborhood's, like, I, is this north over this way? Right, okay, I got it. North, right, over here. <laughs> Uh, some of these other spaces, places where, where AIM rights at, Garfield neighborhood, like these places are so important. And the fact that you've rooted yourself here shows me that you're on to something that you might know what I'm about to share with you. Okay, so you ready? Okay, here we go. So brothers and sisters, this is Paul. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the, Anybody? Foolish. It's okay to talk back, okay? Like I said, I've been in a lot of black churches, and I've been, so whatever the culture is here, that's fine. I can roll with it. So, um, but, you know, like, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and to despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus and who has become for us wisdom from God That is our righteousness, we sung that earlier, holiness and redemption, amen. And so here's the thing, is that God always, always, always uses the margins. That places like this, neighborhoods like this, if you grew up 
Uh, you're maybe, uh, you know, you, you've been experienced what it's like to be a minority in our country. You've experienced what poverty's like. You've experienced pain. You've experienced trauma. You've experienced these things. You've experienced violence, right? You've experienced separation and divorce and abuse. That God actually goes, yeah, you're my plan for the redemption of the world. Like, and, and yet, and I'm going to go in on Christianity today, so... Uh, I don't think this church will get offended by that, but we have forgotten that. And we, we, we've instead have gone looking at places of power and places of influence, and yet God always works from the margins. And I'm here to remind you of that because the church has forgot it. And so I want you to know um, that the, the world is continuing to become, it's young, it's urban, it's multi-ethnic. That's just the reality, friends. Like those who are 21 and younger in our country right now, majority people of color. They don't look like me and like some of you, a lot of you, and you know what I mean? Um, I'm totally kidding, right, in here, um, right? And so, and so things are changing, right? It's becoming more urban, right? You see that in Phoenix, you know? And urban, by the way, my definition of that is uh, urban is a culture of shared suffering. So it doesn't even matter if you're in a rural place, right? If you're on the, the reservation, that's urban. Why? Because they know what pain is like. And there's a culture that gets created out of that. And that urban culture is global now, by the way. That is the cultural currency. Comes from places of suffering. And it's so beautiful that when you root yourself in this, whether you're from this space or not, this is where God is. But here's the other bad news that I want to share with you this morning. Is that you also have 1.2 million young people leaving the church every year. And, and, and so... Like, young people are checking this out, and maybe that's you. Maybe you maybe you grew up in church, and then you were disenfranchised. Like, you're just like, I think this is all bull. I, I don't believe it. And then somehow you found your way back because of this community, uh, because there's something that still draws you to the ways of Jesus, but you're like, it can't be like what I experienced. And so, and that's not even, that 1.2 is not even counting all the people that haven't come back to the, the community of the church after the pandemic. And so by 2050, it looks like there's going to be 40 million young people that have, will choose to walk away from a life in Christ. And that should bother you. If you are a Christ follower here this morning, that should burden you. That should bother you. And here's what's awesome is I think that you are the answer to this problem. And I also think that you're the source of this problem. <laughs> Right? How's that, Clint? Right? Like, just come and offend the congregation right off the bat. You know what I mean? Start blaming people. So, so here's the deal, man. We've got to be honest. If you are a Christ follower and then you've chosen to be a part of this community of Christ followers that's journeying on this, we've got to actually really deal with this because it's on us. It's easy to blame young people. And when I speak to, to older audiences, because I have, you know, I've, I've been in front of churches that a majority of them are a little older it's easy to, to blame young people and be like, oh, man, they don't get it, and they're not following Jesus, and they don't go to church, and they don't, you know, all this stuff, and, and that there's a mass exodus. I get that, but the reality is, whose fault is that? And even if it's not your fault because you're from a younger generation, okay, I'll own it. It's my fault. How have I not walked the ways of Jesus? And so a year ago or, or, or so, we filmed... Um, at Urban Youth Workers Institute, we filmed this, uh, you know, put a YouTube video out. It has like 
300,000 views because people wanted to know. And it was all about why are young people leaving the church? And, um, and it was interesting because I had a lot of comments from older people that were upset. You know, I'm like, one, first of all, why are you even on YouTube? <laughs> Who even showed you how to get here and watch this video? And so they would, you know, they'd make all these comments on there and, and they were upset and, and about what these young people shared about why they didn't believe in Jesus and why they didn't like the church and all these things. Um, and, and they would complain. They, oh, these young people don't have any biblical upbringing and they don't have any theology and they don't have you know, a biblical point of view, and they're not Christ-centered, they're not just like all this stuff, and that the churches didn't do this, and that their parents didn't do that, but honestly, I go, yeah, but where are they supposed to get that from? It's so easy to look at everybody else and be like, well, not in my church, or not me, and these young people got a problem, but ultimately, these young people didn't have a biblical worldview or or a Christ-centered mindset and lifestyle because they're not seeing one. (laughs) And you and I have got, so if you follow Christ, you and I have got to come to a come to Jesus moment and be like, okay, then what does it look like in my life? We're the ones supposed to get it to, to them because you and I, you have to understand your reality that we are the church. It's not this building. It's not, right, this institution. It's like, it's this living, breathing thing that's filled with people made in the image of God. that are on a journey towards oneness with Christ and with each other. And so we carry that responsibility. And even if you are a part of that generation that I'm talking about, maybe you're a younger millennial, maybe you're Gen Z. This is my daughter right here. Uh, this is Ryan. She's one of those. Um, and, and even if that's you, Ryan, and our friends back here looking at you, like if you've decided to follow Jesus, it's your responsibility too. You got to live in a way that your friends are like, how come this is working out for you? right? You carry that responsibility. And I get it. If I was just talking about a couple thousand young people that are like, uh, you know, I think I could blame some churches. Oh, that church is like this, or that church is like that, or I could blame parents. Uh, But when it's 1.2 million every single year, these are young people that grew up in our churches, sang our songs, watched our lives, heard our, our gospel, our good news, and we're like, I'm good. I don't want anything to do with that. And so you got to really wrestle with this. And I I would press you as if you're on this journey, you've got to actually figure out, do you actually believe this or not? Go figure it out. Like you have all the freedom in the world to go do that, but don't be lazy about it. And so these young people who have watched our lives and they're like, I'm out. So something is actually broken. And I love that this next generation actually pointed out what it is. It's re- the reality is it, they see a gap between what we say we believe and how we live it out. That's, I mean, that's it. And so that's the issue, and maybe that's you today. I'm glad you're here. And what's crazy, too, is on this, on this video, you know, that people are all, like, all upset about, um, there are people on there that were like, I wouldn't let those kids go to my church. And I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. Because they were like, I don't want them infecting my kids with all their, you know, liberal or whatever the thing is, you know what I mean? Um, their points of view and their all this kind of stuff. And I just go, oh my gosh, that burdened me because I'm like, we're so unwilling to look at ourselves and our own mistakes that we would rather keep people out of the community of Jesus than, than admitting our own faults and changing. And that's, that's, the, that's where our hearts are at in the institution and it, and it burdens me. 
And so this is what I want to challenge us with today. And there are four things that I want us to challenge us on today as believers. So that young people have the role models they need to live transformed lives by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is is what it is. So here's the acronym, right? I'm a preacher, so I'm going to make it easy for you, okay? So it's not three points, it's four, because I think you can handle it. So here it is. It's, I need you to be rare, okay? Rare, like a steak, okay? I need you to be rare, R-A-R-E, okay? So I need you to be rare. I need you to recognize. I need you to be aware. I need you to to repent. Uh, I need you to be exceptional, okay? So here it is. And like I said, we're about to get into this, all right? So one, you got to recognize. you got to recognize your role in the kingdom of God. And so one of the biggest mistakes we've made as the church, as the, as the institution, um, is that we've professionalized being a Christian. So what that means is professional Christians like me, I'm a professional Christian. Um, I get paid for this. Um, okay, so professional Christians like me uh, create services like this, right? And, and so that, and then we create spaces like this so that you have a uh, a place for community and a place that's safe and, and you have a place where you could raise your kids in a nice moral place, right? And we provide weekly inspiration for you and ways for you to serve the community. And we do all that. Now, none of that is inherently bad, but there's a transaction that starts to happen here, right? And if you don't like the transaction, then what? You go find another. Who, who has a better coffee bar, right? What church has a, you know, a pirate ship in their kids' building, right? <laughs> now, I come from Southern California, and, dude, we got that stuff, right? <laughs> it's crazy. And so we do that, um, but when it becomes about maintaining and growing that system, we fall into the trap of thinking that the services that the church provides is just a consumer experience, and which pushes like Christian professionals like me to carry the burden, like Clint, right? We carry the burden. What happens then is that then you got extremely burned out pastors and millions of immature believers. This is the result of, of 40 years of church growth movement. And, and has God worked through it? Yeah. He's so good despite us. But come on, we, gotta, we have a, you know, a place in this as well. And so both of these have contributed to the de-evangelization of the church, and young people are watching all the abuse, they're watching all, all the fallen pastors, all the greed, all politicization, I can't even say the word, politicization, I, I said it wrong. And so you understand what I'm saying? Of Christ, and, and they're out, right? They're just like, dude, I want no, I think maybe money is the thing that's going to save me. I, I, I think, you know what I mean? I think my truth is what's going to save me. And, and we're seeing that it's not working for them. And so my job as a believer and your job as a believer is to seriously take our identity found in 1 Peter 2.9, which says this, but you're a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood. He's talking to all of you, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. You, gotta, you, you have to be a Christian too, not just me and Clint, right? Because it's not working for pastors either, by the way. We're getting torn up, eaten up. Our families aren't thriving. And so then we're carrying all this and we're, we're working really hard so you come to our services and so we can get your tithe and so we can just continue this for what? So that people can then look at our lives and be like, uh, I'm good, I don't want that. So you have to be involved in God's kingdom. This isn't a spectator sport. This is not Christian capitalism. It's not spiritual consumerism. It's, it's a calling to be who you were created to be 
by bringing God glory, and you can't do that from the sidelines. You know, people love the stories that I share and my, the life that I've led, but I'm like, cool, but I'm the one that's getting deep with Jesus. You should do, do what I'm doing. Come and join me, right? And we'll learn this together. So we can't outsource this to the professionals. It was never meant to be like that, and that's why for so many young people, Christ followers are unrecognizable from cultural Christians, people that we used to say when I was growing up like Sunday believers, like you're only a Christian for two hours on a Sunday, and then you go and live your life. Like save yourself the two hours. Decide, are you this or not? And I'm telling you it's worth it. So one, we need to recognize our role in kingdom. Number two, we need to be aware. So one of the best spiritual practices of a, of a Christ follower is to confront your own hypocrisy. Hello, right? Sunday morning, we're going to go into it. And so Jesus says in Matthew 7, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. I love that Jesus is funny um, because I think he's hilarious, right? And, he, and he's very urban in the sense that he gives all his, his friends nicknames, right? Like we do on the street, right? You know what I mean? Um, and so he's like, he, he's making fun of these guys like, oh, here come the sons of thunder because they're so loud, right? You got some of those friends. You're like, why are you so loud? Um, that's me. My friends say that about me. And so, um, and so he makes, right, the carpenter makes a carpenter joke here. And then he's like, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I think he does this with humor, so it softens the blow. They would have been laughing, but they'd been like, word, like, yeah, that's true, though, huh? <laughs> Looking at each other like, bro, you need to, you know, you got something right here. And so the process, though, of recognizing the plank in your own eye is the process of introspection. Like looking inside of yourself and being honest with who you really are. And the only way you can do this is because of the cross. Let me show you how this works. Like, like without that, I would be just walking around hating myself. And there are parts of the, of the church that are like that. You ever been a part of those kind of churches? It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm the worst, and I'm a sinner, and I'm, you know, I'm a worm, and I'm a, all that. Not, not true. <laughs> but you wrestle with the, with the tension of, Yes, that's true. I'm a sinner, and I'm also made in the image of God. Where do I wrestle with that? In my relationship with God. And how do I wrestle with that is knowing, yeah, I'm loved, and, and God will do all the reckless love to come find me, and yet, while I'm in this state. That's beautiful. And I got to wrestle with that, and I got to look in and go, okay, where are the places that I'm not right? What am I really like? And I got to wrestle with that. But because of the cross, because I go, while I was a sinner, Jesus still did this. Then I have the power then to look inside of me and go, man, I get too angry at my kids. Right? You, you, <laughs> you grew up with me, right? Now, I've gotten better. I have five children. I've gotten better progressively. But the oldest one got the worst. And I, and I have to look at that and deal with that. Right? Why am I so angry? Right? To a, to a three-year-old, right, who didn't, you know, just cried the first eight months of her life. But anyway, um, not her fault. But I got to do that. And then I'm going, that comes from childhood stuff, right? That comes from all these things that all, okay, I'm looking, I'm going, this is where, where it's at. And I do, right, so because of the cross, because of that, rather I realize where I'm a hypocrite, 
where I do not live out the teaching of Jesus, and I remember that Christ still died for me while I'm in that state. That, that way I can, like, not shame spiral, not just live in the guilt of, like, oh, I'm just the worst. God doesn't want that for you. He's like, yeah, I'm here to heal that. But can we work together to figure that out instead of pretending that you're all good? For what? Like, why even show up to church every, every week and never be healed? I don't even get that. And guess who's watching that? Next generation. And they're like, I don't get it either. That's why they're not showing up. And so you have that. And so I do the work to remove the belief and the practice of that hypocrisy from my life. And then when, what happens is when I practice that over and over again, and I'm pulling these planks out of my own eye, it brings actually a posture of humility, doesn't it? Like when I'm like, yeah, I've been like that. Yeah, man. Right. And then I can extend grace to other people. Hey, bro, I feel really bad, man. I've just been like raging on my kids. I'm like, okay, me too. So you're not crazy. You're not alone. Can I, let me share with how, let me help you in that, right? And that's, isn't that what this community is supposed to be like? That you have a safe place to be like, I just share that with you. You can talk to my daughter afterwards, right? And then, and then to know that, okay, but how did you change? By the power of Christ who gives power over sin because of the cross. This is how I did it. I confessed, like all the things of being a Christian. And so like, once I start doing that and I live out that, that humility, it, it brings this lived experience about how to confront my hypocrisy. And then I can help lead. You can't lead people where you haven't been. That's the problem with the church. It's like we're preaching all this stuff and I actually haven't done it. So once I know how to deal with my own hypocrisy, I can gracefully help others do it as well. And this next generation desperately wants to be mentored and discipled by authentic, grace-filled people. Number three is repent, okay? So now you guys are experts at confronting your own hypocrisy, right? But not shame spiraling. It's a balancing act, right? But this is what God's calling you into. So once you start doing that, so I'm like, okay, one, I recognize I got to join in with what God's doing in the world. I've got to confront my own hypocrisy, right? I got to be aware. And now I actually have to do something about it. One of the things that my dad used to say that used to kill me is like, it's just, that's just who I am. I'm like, yeah, we'll be different. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah, because we're all suffering from just who you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, right, we got to deal with this stuff. So one of the most Christian things you can do, one of the most Christian things you can do is say that you were wrong. You understand? Like, like that's how we come to Jesus. Anybody remember that? Maybe you haven't yet, but this is how you do it. You, you actually come to God and you have a conversation. And you're like, I've, I've messed up. I've done wrong things. Um, people have, have done sin to me and I've done sin to others. And I've done sin against you. And I want to make that right. And he's sitting there and he's like, yeah, I took care of it. I just need you to accept that. Receive that gift. Like, that's incredible. But for some reason, as Christians, we do it once and then we're like, oh, glad that's over with. Never have to do that again, right? And so, and, and I, I've been in front of audiences where I've been like, like, have your parents ever apologized to you? Right? And, and in certain, especially in certain specific cultural spaces, oh, that is tough. Because it's like, no, dude, I'm never wrong. I'm the man, right? I'm the dad. I'm like, and it, there's so much pain from that. And you guys have experienced that. 
And so along with confronting our own hypocrisy, we actually have to admit that we were wrong. And we live in a time um, where truth is at, a, at an all-time low. Like, truth is like the super, it's always been relative for people, but it, it really is at an all-time low. And, and even when people get caught in a lie, they rarely just own it and then pledge to do different, right? Like, there's so many people, celebrities, politicians, that if you just said, yeah, I did that, and I'm sorry, and here's how I'm going to be different, a lot of people would be like, all right then, you know? But when they're like, no, that wasn't me, I'm like, I'm watching the video. <laughs> you did it. And they're like, well, those are alternative facts, or the, that's not what really happened. Or I, It's crazy. And, like, the next generation are just looking at us like, the emperor has no clothes, and no one seems to notice. So I'm not, I'm not buying it. And they throw that baby out with the bathwater where I'm like, oh, but Jesus is the truth. And even though these people connected themselves to Jesus, that wasn't the truth. And here's the thing. Admitting we were wrong, this is at the core of being a Christ follower. And so it's I was wrong. And when we literally pray that prayer, we admit that we were wrong. Now we sin against God. But we, we just need to continue to do that every day. This that should be a daily practice, along with confronting your own hypocrisy. So it's in the Lord's Prayer, right? Today we use the word debt, but other places we say sin. Forgive my, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Like, this is an admission of wrongdoing. And we say it so often that sometimes we forget. You know what I mean? And it's easy to be like, because other people have done it to me. Like, yes, but what about me? And so that practice is, and posture is so powerful. And when I think about this, I think, do you know what would happen if the church at large openly confessed and said, we were wrong? We're sorry. This isn't our values. Here's what we're going to do if it's different. I honestly think millions of young people would be like, oh, they'd be really interested. They'd be like, okay, cool. But we don't do that. We cover it up. We cover up the abuse. Um, lead pastor is super toxic, and so, not you, Clint, but others, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and all they do is they go silent for a little while. I watch this over and over again. They go silent for a little while, everybody forgets, and then they just reemerge in some other space. And nothing ever changed. And, and yet there's bodies that are just like all like, strewn about from their, their leadership. But dude, they built a huge church, Right? Man, I'm over that. Like, I'm just like, ugh, I want something real. And so does the next generation. And when I think about this, even I think about, how, think about it in your own life and family. The power of repentance and forgiveness heals families. It reconnects relationships. And it's the heart of reconciliation between us and God. If you don't practice it, I can talk about mega church pastors all day long and messed up leaders and politicians all day long. And if I'm just out here, I got this big old plank out my eye. And if I'm not to stop and be like, okay, what do I recognize in them? Where's that in me? How many times I watched, you know that almost every single pastor I've ever been under has fallen to sexual sin. I come from in my family, infidelity. And if I'm not like, oh, man, these guys, and it always used to really piss me off. I'd be like, man, forget that guy. Maybe I didn't say the word forget, but I would be like, <laughs> forget that guy. And because it would make me so angry because of my own stuff in my own past, right? Yeah. My own father. But if I don't stop and go, 
that is in me. I could do that. That, that sin is to, could to, it can easily live here if I don't deal with it. You ever make, meet people that are like, I'm never going to be like my dad, and then they turn, you're like, dude, you're turning out just like your dad. And the only way to break that is through the, cro- is through the cross and through Christ. So the last one, friends, is we have to be exceptional, right? You have to be exceptional. We have to be different in this world in ways that are so compelling that not only do we experience the abundant life that he talks about in John 10.10, but others do as well. And one of the main reasons why young people are leaving the church is because we're selling something that doesn't even work in our own lives. It's, it's like if I stood up here today and was like, hey, um, I'm selling workout, you know, um, I'm, you know what I mean? I can help you be buff. Like, it's like, oh man. Oh buddy. Okay. You might, that might be a pity sign up. You know what I mean? Be like, okay, I'll give you 25 bucks, but I feel bad for you. That's re- right. That's ridiculous. Cause I'm not buff. Right. Um, but, but that's basically what the world's watching from us. We're like, oh, no, dude, Jesus is amazing. And then it's like, but your relationships aren't any better. But, but you don't seem like you're joyful. Like you haven't figured out anything uh, with all the stuff that we have to deal with in life. I don't, you look like everybody else. And that's how young people are looking at the church. And so hear me when I say this. To be authentic, to be exceptional is not to be perfect. It's to recognize your role in the kingdom of God, be aware of your hypocrisy, repent and admit you were wrong, and then do better. That's it. You just slowly get there, right? That's called sanctification, right? It's a big word. That's all that is. It's each step closer to Christ every day. Now, my mom always told me, uh, don't be sorry, be different. (laughs) And what she meant was, she wasn't saying don't ever apologize. What she was tired of is me doing the same thing, saying sorry for it, and then doing it again. And she, my mom's tough. She's tough. She's a tough lady. And she'd just be like, don't be sorry. Be different. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay. And so she got tired of me of saying sorry, but not changing my actual behavior. Ephesians 4 says, walk in the manner that is worthy to the life that you were called. 1 Corinthians 10 says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. It's not just for the professionals. If we're all priests, this is a whole life way of being. It's it's like, this is how I am. This is how I live and breathe. And I'm going to change that, and I'm going to take a lifetime to be different. Now, the only way you can change is through Christ. John 15 says, you can do nothing apart from me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. Do you know that uh, in Spanish, when, when you read righteousness of God, um, it's, in Spanish it's la justicia de Dios, which means the justice of God. Are you living in a just way? Are you living in an equitable way? Are you living in a way that, that sees the humanity in everybody? That's why spaces like this are so important. But I grew up, in my cultural lens, righteousness just meant I was better than you. Am I better than, uh, you know, that I could look at other people and be like, at least I'm not that guy, right? That guy does this, this, and this. I don't do that. No, no, no. But when you read it 
from our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, you understand a depth to it that you're like, no, it's the way I walk in life. It's the way I interact with everybody, with God's creation. And so I love the prayer that we prayed because that, it embodies actually what we're supposed to be like. And so righteousness can mean being right with God and with others, that we're relationally, we are good. And that means that the sin committed by you and against you has been taken care of. And the only place that's been taken care of is by Christ on the cross. And so that means that the process that I've shared with you today, to be rare, is like a daily practice. It's a rhythm in your life. And so, right, I I recognize my role in the kingdom of God. I affirm my identity. Uh, I'm aware of my hypocrisy. I actively take the plank out. I, I repent and admit I was wrong, and I'm owning my sin. I become exceptional by receiving Christ's grace and power over sin, and this becomes my daily rhythm in life. And so that daily practice begins to change the way I think and the way I live, and I become more of who I was created to be, and I have power over sin, and my life reflects the abundant life of Christ in the midst of pain and suffering of this life. It's in the midst of the pain and suffering. And this world and this next generation desperately need to see and hear and experience that so, so, so desperately. And so I'm, I'm just asking, can we give them something real? Shoot, you guys need to experience that, don't you? Like you need to experience that. You need to see. They, the person sitting next to you needs to see that in your life. So that when they see you and they're watching you on social media and they're hanging with you, they're like, oh, okay, cool, I'm not alone. That's why the community of the church is so important. But you have, but you and I have to experience that first to be able to give it away. And so if you've chosen the way of Christ, all I'm asking this morning is just be about it, right? You don't have to be perfect. You're going to fail. That's okay. But are you taking those steps every day? Because there's millions of young people in my line of work that desperately need this. It's not just about you. And this is the paradox of Christianity. When you make it not about you, you become who you were created to be. And man, each and every single one of you are such a gift, and you don't even, you don't get it. Like, if you knew how much of a gift was, and that God was doing something, and that you were so important to his plan, man, every day I'd be like, okay, I failed yesterday, I'm going to, how do I get that rhythm today? And so you create a rhythm of being, uh, being with Christ to become rare. And so my, my question for us today as I close, what's your daily, and your weekly, and your monthly, and your quarterly, and your yearly rhythm with God? Because you can't just do this without putting it into your calendar, by the way. You've got to be intentional about this. You've got to make that time. So if this is truly what you believe, then you create those rhythms and those practices, and your life actually revolves around Christ. You set aside that time. You read or listen to Scripture. You learn from other people. Hey, how do you pray? Right? I was sharing with this group yesterday that I use prayer beads, and sometimes that offends people, depending on where you're from. You know what I mean? They're like, well, that's Catholic or that's Buddhist or whatever. I'm like, dude, I use prayer beads so that I can learn scripture, <laughs> that I can, you know, uh, pray for certain people. That's why I use that for. But it helps when you have a physical thing to your spiritual action. That helps. It, it's something the way that God's made us. Learn. You know, we have thousands of years of people following Jesus. And you only want to listen to one podcast or one preacher about how they do it. I'm like, oh, no, I want to know how to help me. And if I if I think it's sideways, I have the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. I could be like, that sounds weird. I'm like, yep, that's weird. I'm not going to do that or I'm not uncomfortable with that. But there's so many ways and practices that you can 
follow Jesus. My goodness. And so you can pray and engage the Holy Spirit by speaking and listening. And gather with other believers, uh, specifically around growing deeper with Christ, not just for ultimate Frisbee. Super important. But you also, you need to laugh. You need to grow. There's, there's trust, right? Confianza. That there's, there's something that you, you build together when you do things like that. So important. If you don't have that, then you can't trust each other when you go to Scripture together. You spend time alone with God and yourself to walk through the process I shared with you today. And you join in on what God is doing in the world. You be on mission in this space, in this neighborhood, in this city. And so finally, I just would, and then what you do is you, you invite young people into the sacredness of that walk and life with you. You aren't going to be all, like perfect, but you can be authentic. And that's what we desperately need. And so I bless you, Midtown, that you may become rare as believers because we, I, I need you. Like this next generation needs you. Your families need you. Your friends need you. Your coworkers need you. This neighborhood needs you, right? To like show that there's an actual way to live this life that can be abundant because right now in our world, it sure doesn't seem like that, right? And so let me bless you and then I'll be done for today. Let's, let's pray.